Corinthians chapter 2. We've started a new series a few weeks ago called Messy Church. And uh, certainly church, if you spend any time in a church, you'll know that things can get messy, not just with litter and things around on the ground, but messy because people are involved. And so I want to try to preach a message to you this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 called When Worlds Collide. When Worlds Collide, again, I want to thank Chris for putting these slides together for me each week, uh, using his gifts and talents to do that. So thank you, Chris. But when worlds collide, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, before we get into and read the text, I want to share a little story. You might have heard this. It's been shared not in churches uh, alone, but throughout a long period of time. The story of the six blind men and the elephant. Have you ever heard that story? It goes something like this. There was a group of blind men that heard about a strange animal called an elephant had been brought into their village, but none of them were aware of its shape or form. So out of curiosity, they said, we must inspect it and we must know it by touch, of which we are capable since we cannot see. So they sought it out, and when they found it, they started to touch it. The first man, his hand landed on the trunk, and he said, this being is like a thick snake. For another one whose hand reached its ear, he said, it seemed like a huge fan. He said, as another one, he touched his leg and said, the elephant is like the pillar of a tree trunk. The fourth blind man put his hand on the side of the elephant and said, it is like a wall. Another felt its tail and said, it's more like a rope. And the last man felt its tusk and said that the elephant is something that is hard and smooth like a spear. And so the story is meant to illustrate that depending on your experience, depending on how you maybe interpret things, you are going to come up with your own subjective type of view of things. And, and that really is a great illustration for where we are at as a world today. Everybody wants to believe that their truth is just as right as anyone else's truth. But by very, the very nature of definition, truth can't contradict itself. So we can't all have competing versions of truth. And that is why it's so important for us to understand and realize that the foundation of truth is God himself, revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and spoken to us through his holy word. If we are ever to hope to have any type of foundational truth and from that truth to live in wisdom, we have got to allow God and his word to be the source I heard a preacher talking one time about this topic, and he said, imagine you were lost at sea. I thought about some of our Navy men uh, that are here in the church. Imagine that you are lost at sea with no navigation instruments, and you have to try to find your way back to land. And he said, you could leave buoys behind you to show where you had been, and so you didn't repeat the same path. But when it comes to going forward, those buoys behind you are not going to lead the way. You need something that is fixed, something that is not going to move or change. As a navigator on a ship without any instruments, what would you look to? The stars. The stars for centuries have been a guide for people to help them navigate their way through things because they are fixed. They are certain. And so is God. We have got to have a source that is outside of ourselves. 
And so Paul will go on, uh, I'm going to actually preach from verses 10 through 16, but I want you to just kind of see the first verses that precede that this morning before we get into that main text. Because Paul has been arguing about the divisions in the church. And last week we talked about the fact that the message of the cross was foundational and is foundational. That that message is timeless. That that message applies to every human being who has ever lived. Without Jesus Christ, you are lost and dead in your sins. And only by faith in Him alone can you be born again. Can you receive eternal life? And Paul said, that is my message and that is why I came. And that is my message today and that is why I am here. And so we talked about that a lot last week. But I want you to see as we head towards our text today, just what Paul is saying in verses 6 through 9. He begins to speak about wisdom. What real wisdom is is and he goes on to say and basically as I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing this there are competing worldviews at play here guys what the world teaches and believe is going to be in opposition to the word of God if, if you haven't figured that out yet you will the more that we stand on truth and the farther that the world moves away from truth the more that we see the divide do we not and, and we can name any host of issues. Obviously, the topics that are near and dear to our heart right now is the sanctity of life. So as the world moves farther away from the value of life through teaching of, of evolution and things where we are just evolved accidents that we really have no purpose, the Sunday school lesson this morning said we are treasured by God. That is a message that the world needs to hear, but it's a message that the world rejects because... In their worldview, there is no God. There is no real purpose in life other than to just live a hedonistic life, enjoy things, get what you can get, because this is all you have in their minds. And so that's an issue. Life isn't valuable in the, world, in, in the, in the world's eyes and in their worldview. Obviously, when it comes to the purpose of marriage between a husband and a wife for life, that is going to be an issue and has been an issue that divides us, right? Because God said he created them male and female in the image of God. He created them to be together. And the world has taken that, the enemy has taken that, and twisted it into some perversion that is not biblical. And we could go on and on with example after example of how the world has pulled away from biblical truth. But... Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, speaking of Jesus Christ, this is a verse that I believe we should know well. He says of Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Even the smartest of men and women that have ever lived have finite minds. We, lo we know so little, even with the advances of science, and philosophy, and all of the other studies of life, we still know so little. And so there's got to be something beyond us if we are ever to hope to gain wisdom and gain knowledge on any kind of a scale and ultimately know that what we're believing is true. And that is found in Jesus Christ. Just as we would look to the stars for help, we've got to look to the heavens for help today. And so Paul is making that argument in verses 6 through 9 that the things that we need are revealed to us 
from God. It's beyond us. It's outside of us. He is the source of that wisdom. And so last week, when we talked about the cross, we talked about five messages that the cross has for us. And today I want to look at three messages, if you will, that wisdom has for us, or more specifically, how that wisdom is transmitted to us. And so I've been reading to you each week from a paraphrase because I just want you to hear it initially in an easy-to-understand form and then go back and look at it in depth. So we're going to look at verses 10 through 16 this morning from 1 Corinthians 2, and I'll read those to you as we get started, if it will cooperate for us back there. Sometimes it doesn't. But we know about these things because God has sent His Spirit to tell us, and His Spirit searches out and shows us all of God's deepest secrets. No one can really know what anyone else is thinking or what he is really like except that person himself. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own Spirit. And God has actually given us His Spirit, not the world's Spirit, to tell us about the wonderful free gifts of grace and blessing that God has given us. In telling you about these gifts, we have even used the very words given to us by the Holy Spirit, not words that we as men might choose. So we use the Holy Spirit's words to explain the Holy Spirit's facts. But the man who isn't a Christian can't understand and can't accept these thoughts from God, which the Holy Spirit teaches us. They sound foolish to him because only those who have the Holy Spirit within them can understand what the Holy Spirit means. Others just can't take it in. But the spiritual man has insight into everything, and that bothers and baffles the man of the world who can't understand him at all. How could he? For certainly he has never been one to know the Lord's thoughts or to discuss them with him or to move the hands of God by prayer. But... Strange as it seems, we Christians actually do have within us a portion of the very thoughts and the very mind of Christ. Lord, we come to you today asking you to open our eyes and our hearts and to give us that wisdom. As we study your word, Lord, may it not just be stories, but may it be a reality for us. Lord, may we understand you and your word and your purpose and plan for us. May we receive peace and confidence and strength and assurance and all the things that come from knowing you and knowing your word, Lord. And most of all, we pray today if someone here is lost and doesn't know you, that you would open their eyes and open their minds by the Holy Spirit to see that they're lost, but to see that you've done everything necessary for them to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ if they will just trust him. Lord, have your way in this service. May you increase, may I decrease, and may you get all glory from everything we do in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we look at this text today, I told you that I'm going to give you the, the three things that I saw and that God showed me this week as I studied this about wisdom, about understanding God's Word. And when we get into verse 10, you'll notice there are certain things as you study the Bible, little words, phrases that you might pick out that will help you to be a better student of the Word. And one of those words is but, B-U-T. When you see that word but, you should take notice because it is contrasting or comparing a thought that was just stated. And so Paul is now going to take in verse 10 and compare that with what he just said in verse 9. What did he say in verse 9? He said, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them who love him. A lot of times we use that verse to talk about heaven. And while there could certainly be uh, some, some thought there towards heaven, 
the context of the chapter is wisdom. And so he's driving home the point that human eyes cannot see the things of God. Human ears cannot comprehend the Word of God. The human heart is unable to fully grasp the person and character and nature of God. We can't even begin to understand the things that God has for us, both in heaven but presently as well. Because sometimes we said this in Sunday school this morning, a lot of times we focus so much on heaven that we miss the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for us now. He wants us to enjoy Him now, not just when we get there. Certainly things will be a lot different when we get there. All the hindrance of the flesh and the world and the devil won't be dragging us down. But that doesn't mean that we ought to walk around as Christians and be miserable every day. That ought to be the opposite. Certainly we all get down and discouraged and have bad days, and we talk about that all the time. But we ought to be able to, from our spirit, say, as Job did, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It's not always a good day, but he's always a good God. And I'm going to find a reason to have joy in my life. I'm not just going to surrender my joy as soon as I roll out of bed. I'm not going to let a bad driver rob me of my walk. I'm not going to let a miserable coworker steal my joy. I'm just going to make it a purpose in my mind when I get up to say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I'm going to fight to walk in the Spirit and not surrender my Christian life day in and day out and live miserable and say, well, one of these days when I get there, things will be good. I want things to be good now. I want them to be good now. And again, even when circumstances aren't good, God is good. And so when we keep our eyes on Him, it lifts us up a little bit. Again, it doesn't always necessarily take away the problems and the circumstances or mean that you should, you're, you're abnormal if you're a Christian and you're struggling with doubts and fears. He wouldn't have said, fear not and be anxious for nothing if it wasn't a problem, right? He wouldn't have needed to put that in there if none of us struggled with it. It's in there because we do struggle with fears. We do struggle with doubts. We do struggle with anxieties. But he wants us to know that when those feelings come, there's someone greater than those feelings. There's someone greater than those circumstances. He wants us to know where to take those things, in other words. Because where do we usually put them? Right on our back. We pick them up and we drag them around with us. And that's not what he wants. He wants us to learn to live with the wisdom of God. So in verses 10 and 11, how do we receive that wisdom? It's revealed to us. We have a book in the Bible called Revelation. But all of the scriptures are revealed to us. They are a revelation from God. That word means an unveiling. He is opening our eyes and our hearts to understand something that we previously didn't understand. If, if you look back a couple of verses uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, notice in verse 7 he says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. What does that mean? That doesn't mean like a, a, we watch a mystery movie and we're trying to figure out who done it. In, in the Bible, the term mystery means something that was previously unknown. So God has been revealing things to Paul and through, through the New Testament writers. He is revealing his plan, how he took the law and he fulfilled the law in Jesus Christ and how the, the ceremonies and the sacrifices were just types and shadows of the final fulfillment that would be in Jesus. All those things were revealed over time. And in the last days, he is revealing things through prophecy and, and, and through the Word of God that, again, as I said at the start of the service, guys, everything has lined up, always has, 
always will, and it's pointing towards the next, what I believe is the next great event in the timeline of the church, and that is the rapture. As we walk towards that event, that is the next event that we as believers await. And those things are revealed to us by the Word of God, and he's contrasting that with worldly wisdom. John Phillips, who is a a commentator that went on to be with the Lord, I love what he wrote in his commentary. He said, God is not discovered by gazing into a microscope or a telescope. He says, we can see his fingerprints everywhere in creation, but we can never know him, his mind, his heart, or his will, apart from divine revelation. Look, we, we are without excuse. You can look at the creation and see that there is a creator. One of Satan's greatest lies, again, is this idea of evolution. But we receive that so much because it is rammed down our throats through public school, through universities. We hear it over and over and over again that the theory of evolution is factual. Despite all the gaps, despite all the lack of evidence, despite all the contrary evidence to it, Christian scientist creationism, I'm sure Chris could testify to this in his time at Answers in Genesis, any scientist that comes up and wants to speak that is immediately discredited and belittled. It's not that they are lesser scientists, it's just that they are not afforded any kind of platform other than through Christian places to be able to speak and share those things. And so I encourage you to check into those sources like Answers in Genesis and the Creation Institute and places where they are pushing back the world's philosophies with biblical truth. Because I don't care how great, I don't care if you went to Harvard or Yale. I'm putting my trust in the Word of God, not what a man teaches me. I'm thankful. Listen. Because the claim against Christians is, oh, well, you're just, you're just uneducated fools, and you don't, you're, you're science deniers, and all this stuff. Listen, I don't know how many things throughout history we can look back that were discovered by Christian scientists right? Louis Pasteur. I mean, we could go on down the list of Christian scientists that discovered things. Their faith led them deeper into science. It gave them a foundation and a source. Christians are not anti-science, but we want to stand on the truth. And if it contradicts God's Word in any way, shape, or form, I'm putting my trust in God and not man. Because over the years, guys, how many times has science told us one thing, and then after the fact told us something else. Seems to me that happened a couple years ago. Right? Things change. Science is evolving. Science continues to test evidence. Science is, let me put it this way, science is learning. God doesn't learn anything. He knows the beginning from the end. He is immutable. He does not change. I don't need to wait on God to learn something and come back and say, remember what I wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.10? Scratch that out, I was wrong. Science will do that, but my God does not. I'm putting my faith and my trust in the revelation of God. If he said it in this book, it is true. And again, we talked about Sunday school. It was so good today. I wish all of you could have heard it. Because it talked about, and we talked a lot about the fact of spiritual warfare. And the way that the enemy wages war against you, regardless of who you are, is by lies, by deception. He wants you to believe anything that opposes this book. It's what he did in the Garden of Eden, and it is what he still does today. He wants to take God's Word and twist it, 
take God's Word and manipulate it. He wants to use the world. He wants to use the media. Yes, the media is demonically controlled without question. It is, and he is using that as a vessel to communicate a lie that the people are swallowing down. I'm telling you guys, the best thing for all of us would be to turn off the news. I'm not saying be ignorant of things that are going on, but I'm saying spend less time and put less confidence in that and a lot more time in this. Because it's astounding to me, like, somebody can read a post on Facebook and they're convinced it's true. I mean, they see something on there, and I think, I think we ought to be, especially as Christians, be careful what you share. Like, just because you see something, a meme, a, a quote, whatever, try to spend a little time and make sure before you hit share that it's actually factual, right? That it's actually based on some kind of con- confirming evidence. But yet, we'll believe a meme that we see on Facebook, but we continually doubt over and over what God said. How many times... Have you sat in church week after week after week and you hear the truth, but it takes so long for you to finally say, you know what? That's right. You know what? I could have spared myself a lot of grief and a lot of misery if I just would have trusted God to begin with. But I tried everything else first. You know, we're, we're so slow to trust God and He is the one that we can trust. But it's so hard for us because this flesh gets in the way. There's, there's the pull of peer pressure. Let's be honest. When we, when we say the things that God says to our worldly friends, they look at us like we've got two heads. And a lot of times we are fearful of that, and so we stay silent. It's very difficult to be the one person that is standing on God's truth when the whole room around you is not. When the whole room is filled with, I put it, I'll go a step farther, it's very hard when you're the only Christian in your family and you're the one that's trying to stand up and shine a light in a dark place and your family doesn't believe that. It makes for some very awkward conversations, some very tense moments in the house. But again, We have got to rest in Christ and His Word. Because Paul says to us, he says to us in verse 10 of our text, God's revealing these things to us. What we know, what you know here today about God was not that you were smarter than anybody else. It's that when you came to Christ, His Spirit was placed within you and He began to teach you the truth. He began to change your mind and your heart. He began to mold you and shape you, and He's still doing that. For the Spirit, it says, searches all things, the deep things of God. It is the Spirit that's the channel, if you will, of communication. And then He says in verse 11, For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? In other words, we can't even actually tell what another human being is thinking of at any given moment. What's going through your minds right now in this moment are only known to you and God. So we're not even wise enough to figure out another person's thoughts. How much harder or impossible is it for us to figure out the thoughts of God? The only way that we can know God's thoughts or if, is if God gives us a revelation of His thoughts. And He has done that 
in his word and by his spirit today. So revelation is a word that we need to become familiar with because if we're going to learn wisdom, it's got to come through a dependence on the Holy Spirit and on his word. How does he do that? Drop on down and look at verses 12 and 13. He says to us there, the very first line of verse 12, we have received. So again, this is a gift. This revelation is something that we receive from God. It's not even something necessarily that we seek out. Certainly we should. But initially, it is a gift. The Spirit Himself is a gift given to believers. The term of God revealing things to us so that we receive them is called illumination. When we turn on the lights in this room, it brightens things up, and we can see a little bit clearer. When you're driving at night and you flip on your headlights, you can see the road ahead of you. It illuminates things. That's what God's Word does to us. He says in verse 12, We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who would believe, lest the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ would shine through unto them. See, he has put up a veil. He has put up blinders. We are trying to shine a light into the darkness, and there is a veil. I don't know how many times I've felt this way. I've talked to you feel this way. I try to share my faith with people. I try to tell people about Jesus, and they want nothing to do with it. They turn it away. They get upset. All of those things, it's because it's not you. And that's why I keep telling you, don't stop doing what you're doing. It's not you that are failing. It wouldn't matter if Billy Graham came back and preached to him. Until God removes the veil, until the Holy Spirit does a work in their heart and draws them, they are not going to get it. But that does not negate the fact that we are commanded to tell them about Jesus. Because if we all just go silent and don't preach, the message will not be there. And without the message, they will die in their sins. You might have shared the gospel with them a hundred times, but on the hundred and first time, they get it. So don't ever quit. Don't ever stop trusting that God is able and that that soul is valuable. You might be the only one that's reaching out to them. Don't stop. Don't ever stop. It is the illumination. He says that we didn't receive the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. It's such a blessing, church, to live in a country where we can have a copy of the word of God. Without persecution and without fear of retribution. Now, I'm not saying that the day wouldn't come and will come in this country where you could face repercussions for even having a Bible. But I'm saying right now, we are blessed to have it. And may we never take that for granted. May we never be guilty of having access to this book, but not having the time to open it. May we never be so busy with life that we forget how important this book is to us. Because one of the reasons why the enemy has so much ease with us is because we aren't familiar with the truth. We don't know how to stand against the attacks of the enemy because when he comes with his lies, with his doubts and deception, we don't have anything to fight back with. 
this is our sword and we've put it in our sheath for too long and we are defenseless, so to speak, against him. We have got to know and we can know. And I always tell people, you're not going to just wake up one morning and know the Bible inside and out. It's a lifelong thing that you have got to just continue to pray and study and search it and be around other believers that will help you. All of those things are important and necessary. But you have, as a believer, the Spirit of God, and He can open your eyes to anything that you need if you will trust Him. Jesus said of this Holy Spirit in John 16, 13, He said, However, when He, the Spirit of what? Truth. When He comes... He will guide you. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. What is Jesus saying there? Basically, to paraphrase it, he's saying if you ever want true wisdom, if you want to know what God wants for you, you have got to rely on the Holy Spirit. You have got to trust this book, even, especially, I won't say even, I'll say especially when it goes against the world. Because those, those times when it is clear and evident that this book is clashing with the world, you can know that when you go this way, you're going the right way. But the reason why we don't, again, is not because, I don't even think it's because deep down we know, we know I hope as Christians, we know that this is right, but we, we want to avoid the awkwardness. We want to avoid the uncomfortableness. We want to avoid the tension and the fighting. And so either we don't say anything at all, or we just go along to get along. And both of those things are actually a sin to us. The Bible says, he who knows to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. If we know, if we know what God wants us to do, and we compromise out of the fear of man, we are sinning against our God. We just are. And I, I listen, I don't like to be uncomfortable. I'm a person that would rather avoid confrontation than face it. And that's not a good quality, but it is true. I don't like confrontation. But I've learned over the years that if, it's, if I have a biblical ground to stand on, it's not my fight, it's God's. And, and I'm not trying to fight with people, but I'm trying to correct. And if correction is needed, then it's right. Because it's not just right because God says it's right. It's right because that person is living in error and they need to know that. How, how unloving and uncompassionate is it of me or of you if we see someone walking in error or living in error and we know the consequences of what their life is going to lead to and we say, well, I know it's going to be uncomfortable so I don't think I'll tell them. Right? Right? I mean, my goodness, guys, if we really love people, then we have got to share uncomfortable truth with people at times, you know? What they do with it is out of our hands. But may we never be guilty of not taking what God has given us and sharing it. Because that's ultimately, aren't we called stewards in the Bible of many things? We're stewards of the money and the, and the material things he gives us. But we're stewards of the message. Paul says that we are ambassadors of Christ. We represent him to the world. How are we representing him? If we never speak of Jesus, if we never show people Jesus, how are we really representing Christ? If you have been given wisdom, if God is working in your life, share that with others. And that brings us to the last point that Paul says in verses 14 through 16. As we receive this revelation, our minds are renewed. 
our minds are changed. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, the natural man, that's the unsaved man, does not receive, right? It's not that they're not offered. When you share the gospel, you are offering the unsaved man the wisdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The problem is he doesn't want that. He wants to stay in his sins. He wants to do it his way. He says that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? Foolishness to him. Nor can he even know them, because they are spiritually discerned. God gives us the Word of God to be able to judge rightly, to be able to differentiate between the worldly things and the things of God. That's what he's saying. It's not certain, There is a gift of discernment that some people have, a spiritual gift, but we all should have a measure of discernment because we all have the Word of God. And we all have the Holy Spirit. You should not be like a double-minded man that's always tossed to and fro. You have got to understand that the truth lies outside of yourself. And too many people say, well, I don't know. I just go with whatever sounds good at the moment. No, don't do that. You are going to end up in a place that is far from God and far from His Word if you're not grounded in this thing. And so Paul says the natural man's not going to get it, but you and I should because verse 15 he says, he who is spiritual judges all things. That just means he who has the Spirit of Christ. It doesn't mean that there's a class of Christians that are necessarily above everyone else and and that they are the only ones that can judge uh, all things. He says, he who is spiritual, he who knows Christ, judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. The world has nothing against me because God has already shown me his word on everything. And everything that I have ever done that was wrong in the eyes of God was dealt with on Calvary. I don't, listen, one of the biggest lies that the enemy wants you to believe is all of the things that you were before Christ and all of the sins that you will still commit after Christ are still yours to deal with. Like, people will say all the time, I'm... I know Christ forgave me, but I can't forgive myself. That's not part of the contract. There's not one verse of Scripture that says, now Jesus forgives you, but you've got to forgive yourself. When, when Jesus died on that cross and shed His blood, and by faith you received that gift and that blood covered you, the problem is not that the sins that were forgiven are still lurking in the background. You're cleansed. The problem for you is up here. That's where the battle is for you, is in your mind. Trying to grasp, I won't even say it that way, trying to rest in the truth that is God's. Every time the enemy brings up your past, the Bible says that he's cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that he's taken our sins and put them in the depth of the sea, never to be remembered anymore. Every time the enemy comes with that thought to you about your past, you need to remind him that that transaction was paid in full at Calvary. And every time you sin and the enemy comes along and says, well, Christian, huh? I saw what you did, and you know what you did. 
Good thing pastor didn't see that. He'd throw you out of the church. Good thing the church members didn't see that. They wouldn't let you back in there. Oh, well, better yet, just don't even go to church anymore because you're a hypocrite and you shouldn't be there. Just put your Bible down and close it because you obviously are a hypocrite because you don't believe it. Just quit praying because you've prayed about this thing before and obviously it's still a problem, so just don't waste your time anymore. All of those lies that he keeps putting out there for you to try and get you to set aside the things that you need and the truth that is yours. Child of God, today, if you are saved, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are washed, you are cleansed, heaven is your home, your sins are forgiven. And that's not a, that's not a prosperity blessings and, and nothing but good material. I'm telling you that all of the things that God has promised will absolutely come to pass and you have got to realize and walk in that truth. You have got to say, I refuse any longer to listen to the father of lies because my heavenly father is the voice of truth and I'm resting in that. You, you cannot continue to allow two voices to pull you back and forth. There is one voice and one truth and you've got to lay hold of that and anything else is just outside noise. Anything else has... Listen, the only way that the enemy's lies have any power over you is if you give them power. You give them power by entertaining them. Thoughts are going to come in your mind. There is, it is impossible for you to control what comes in, but it is absolutely possible for you to control what stays. And you have, your mind is nothing more than a filter. It's a processing center. Things come in, things go out. And how you think is how you behave. And so if you're taking in garbage, that's why George and Melody, for example, and it's not just true for youth, it's true for all of us, but that's why they speak so much about who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. We have Another lie we have bought into is that, well, it's just television, it's just social media, it's just my friends, it's just this. They don't really affect me. Yes, they do. It is impossible to surround yourself with ungodly things and not be influenced to live ungodly. Now listen, I'm not saying we isolate ourselves. As Christians, we've got to be around unbelievers to share the gospel. You might work with unbelievers. You've got unbelievers in your family. I'm not telling you to become a monk and go move to the mountains or to Tibet and stay in a hut all your life. I'm saying that if you surround yourself with worldly people and start participating in worldly things, it will impact you. It will influence your life. And you have got to remove those things, so to speak, from your life to the degree that you fill yourself up rather with other things that are going to impact you in a positive light. The saved man has this spiritual discernment is what Paul is saying. You're going to be different from the world. If you're not, there's a big problem. If you're here today and you claim the name of Jesus and your life looks no different, there's a problem. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you say. I don't care if you got baptized, if your church membership's here or somewhere else. I don't care if you got a Bible with your name on it. You can go on down the list. The evidence that you are saved is a changed life. Not a perfect life. That doesn't mean that your Christian life goes like this and you never have any bumps. But it means that you are making progress. It means that you're not the same person that you were before you met Jesus Christ. There's got to be a change. You're telling me that you went to Calvary and saw the Son of God who shed His blood for you and you went to the empty tomb and saw the empty grave where Jesus Christ is alive. You met that Jesus and it didn't change you? Something's bad wrong. You met a different Jesus than I did, 
And I'm not even saying that you have to have this horrible past that he faced. You might have been a little kid and got saved, but you still met Jesus, and that has to do something to you if you're truly his. And so Paul says the last thing, verse 16, he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? Listen to this last part. We have, present tense, we have the mind of Christ. That doesn't mean that we are little gods and we can somehow comprehend all the things that God knows. We would be God at that point, right? But he's saying that the nature and character of God is now the way that we process and live things. In other words, our worldview changes. We used to live for the world. We used to view things through the lens of the world. We used to look to worldly wisdom to try to gain answers to things. And now we have found that there is a source outside of all of the world and all of man's wisdom that is true, and that is God. And we can trust Him. One of my favorite stories is the two men on the road to Emmaus after Jesus has risen from the dead. They saw him crucified, and, and they think that, man, we've wasted all this time following this Jesus, and Jesus is walking with them on the road to Emmaus, and they're having this conversation, and, and Jesus is saying things, and they're like, where have you been? Don't you know what just happened? And he's just going along listening and talking, and I love what it says in verse 45 of Luke 24. It says, then he opened their understanding, literally their minds. He opened their minds that they might comprehend the scriptures. That's what it takes, guys. Look, I spent years and years and years studying, but the things that I've truly learned have been revealed to me by from God. And it's the same for you. I talk to a lot of young preachers, and they think, you know, I'm, I'm working with two young guys now. And they say, I just don't understand. You can quote scripture without looking at it, and I can't do that. And I said again, there's nothing in the Bible that says if you can't quote, quote scripture verbatim, from memory that you're disqualified. That's just the gift that I happen to have. You might not have that gift. I encourage you to memorize Scripture, but it's hard for some people. If you can't stand up here this morning and quote the whole book of Hebrews, that doesn't make you a lesser Christian. It doesn't make you not called by God to share the gospel. It just means that there may be other means and methods for you to use to get the gospel out. You've got the book, whether you quote it or whether you just go like that and point at it and let them read it. It doesn't matter. It's the Word of God that's going to change people. You see? And so we need to get the mind. We have the mind of God. We've got to live by the mind of God. Romans talks about the fact that we have got to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. When you got saved, your mind just didn't change overnight. It's still changing. This is a process, guys. But if you're not allowing the Word of God in, if you're not meditating on it, and then most of all, if you're not obeying it, it's one thing to learn it and to know it, but what are you doing with it? You have got to allow it to change your life. I've talked to so many people over the years. They got saved, but they still held to a lot of unbiblical positions. I'll never forget a lady uh, at, at Freedom when I pastored there. And she got saved, and she asked me to come over one night. And she was visibly upset with me. And I didn't know why. And we began to have a conversation. And she said, listen, I want to I tell you that when you speak out against abortion... I disagree with you. She said, I believe that God gives us free will to make choices. And I just listened to her, and I tried to share some scripture, but she, at the moment, was adamant that she didn't believe the same way that, that I was teaching. But you know what? I kept praying for her. I kept loving her. 
I kept sharing the gospel. I didn't change. I didn't avoid that conversation just because I knew it made her upset. And about six months later, we had another conversation. And she said, I want to apologize. She said, as I've looked at this, as I've listened and studied it, you're right. The Bible is right. Life does matter. Abortion is wrong. And she did a complete change because of that. You see, it takes time, guys. Let's not be so quick to bash new Christians or even Christians that have been saved for a while if they've not been discipled. Let's give them some time, but let's correct them in love. Don't stop preaching the truth, but allow their mind to be transformed because all of us probably got junk from the world that we still carry around, and God is working on us. He's molding us and shaping us. He's pruning us. And so you might be here today, and you might be thinking, this all sounds well and good, but I don't know if I believe this, that, and other thing because you're not a believer. I'm not asking you this morning to believe the Bible about anything else other than who Jesus Christ is. That's the only thing, if you're lost today, that you need to deal with. Do you believe, is it possible, that God loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son, that if you would believe today on Him, you can have eternal life and never perish? That's the truth. Whether you believe it this morning or not, that is the truth. It's not determined by whether you accept it or not. It's true whether you want it or not. But I'm asking you, will you receive that truth? Will you receive the promise, which is Jesus Christ, who came and died for your sins and rose again on the third day? Will you receive that Jesus by turning from your sins and trusting Him? And if you're a believer here today, I want to ask you, what things has God revealed to you that you are still struggling to act upon? Because I know without a shadow of a doubt, in all of our lives, there are things that God is showing you and has shown you, whether it's some sin that you're still holding on to that you need to deal with, or whether it's a calling on your life that you need to finally surrender to, or whether it's some things in your life that you need to just cut out, including people. At what point are you going to stop saying, yeah, yeah, you're right, God. Yeah, Pastor was right again. Boy, he hit me right between the eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And come back next week and hear it all again and say the same thing and just keep going through it. At what point are we going to say, I'm not just going to be a hearer of the Word, but a doer of the Word. I'm going to take this stuff. I'm scared to death. Pastor, you don't know what God is calling me to do. Believe me, I do. I might not know your exact circumstance, but I know what it feels like. Listen, I know what it feels like to sit in a church and hear the gospel preached and be lost and hold on to that seat. I was there many times. I went to, believe it or not, I went to church before I was a pastor. And I went to church before I got saved. I didn't go to church because I wanted to go to church. I didn't go to church because I liked singing songs or wanted to hear the gospel. I went to church because the people that I were dating went to church. So I wanted to sit by them, so I went to church. This is, this is long before my wife, by the way. Not why I was married anymore. But I'm saying, I've been in church, and I heard the message preached, but I didn't want anything to do with that because that's not why I was there, right? And you may have came here today because somebody begged you, come to this K. Russo place and, and hear what's going on out there and listen to this guy. And you might be here today and say, well, here, I showed up. I did it. I won't be back, but I came today. But listen to me. You have got to, before you walk out that door today, think about your soul. Think about your eternity. If you walk out that door and jump in the car and pull out of here and don't make it home, where are you going? Where are you headed? Without Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're on your way to hell. That's not to scare you. That is to warn you that that is what God says. 
you might be the best person in your mind on earth because that's what the world thinks. Just be good. Just be a good guy. That's not what Jesus said. He said there's none good but God. He said without holiness, no man will see God. You might be able to be good, but you can't be holy. And that takes Christ changing you. Are you ready to meet him? If you're not, you can be today. Are you ready to serve him? Are you ready to surrender to him? If you can, you can do that today. Phyllis is going to come and she's going to play for us our song of invitation. And as we sing, you say, what is this invitation thing? I hear about it and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. The invitation is just your, your opportunity to respond to what you've heard. You've heard the word. God is working in your heart for whatever situation. What are you going to do with it? This is the time where you come. Come to this altar and give your life to him. Give your heart to him. Give whatever he's wanting you to do. I'll pray with you, but I can't do it for you. You have got to do it. You have got to make the decision, and it starts by publicly professing, hey, Jesus is calling me to this, and I'm not running from it anymore. I'm trusting him with it. That's what the invitation is. And if you need something today, don't go that way. Come this way. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that comes from above. God, I pray today as you deal with hearts that we would have the courage and the strength to step out and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I don't understand it. I'm uncertain about where we go from here, but I know that I can trust you because just like the stars in the sky are set to help me navigate life, you and your word are faithful and true, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you today with my life because I know that you will take me where I need to go and you will use me for your glory. So as we give this invitation, Lord, have your way in our hearts and we give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.